Right, good morning. Um, a little bit, something a little bit different today. If you class yourself as a child um, and you'd like to join in with what I'm about to suggest, um, I need you to have a piece of paper and something to draw on a piece of paper with. If you haven't got that, do you want to put your hand up and Ellen will come and give you a piece of paper and maybe a, something to draw on that piece of paper with? I think all the children who are here have come prepared with pen and paper, obviously, avid note-takers. Oh, no, we've got one over here, Ellen. Okay. One here, a larger child. It's just, uh, it's just how you see yourself, it's fine. <laughs> you might find this helpful. I'm going to be looking at some stories. These stories are to do with David's Mighty Men. And so what I want you to do, if you've got a piece of paper and you're going to be drawing, is as I read some of these stories, um, I'd like you to draw a picture of something that is in these stories. So there's quite a few stories, so you can just choose anything from those stories, I want you to draw it. And once you've done that drawing, I need you to keep listening to me for the whole time, if you can, and... Try and write something down or get your mum and dad or whoever's with you to help you write something down that you remember me teaching you about these stories. Okay? So has everyone who wants some paper and pen got one? Cool. So in 1 Chronicles 11, 10 to 25, we come across some stories. Now I'm reading from the ESV today. So if you want to put, if you can get the ESV version up, then that would be similar to what I'm reading. Okay. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. Disclaimer, by the way, I'm not promising to get any of their names right in pronunciation. There you go. So here we First name, Jashobim, a Hakamite, was chief of the three. He wielded his, his spear against 300 who he killed at one time. Actually, while, while I'm mentioning this, I'm a bit thirsty. Um, now, I have, heard, I have heard that at the tap of the Jubilee Center, I just long... Uh, lads, are you... Uh, yeah, I, lo- I just long for some water from the tap of the tap of the. Ju- oh, hang on, a bit of. Hang on. Sorry, lads. No, they've done it. Oh, he's down. That philistine went straight down. That was that was definitely Ed. He's a violent one. Hang on. I think uh, I think this is gonna, they're going to do it. Well done, lads. Oh, cheers, boys. Oh, he's down again. See, Ed, you're a violent man. Whew. Well, you know, yeah, I, did, I was really longing for it. Um, thanks, boys. Now, hopefully that has given you a little bit of a clearer visual understanding of some of these stories. Because these are real-life stories. So as I'm telling them, this hopefully will help you see some of, and maybe, maybe for me, I love to visualize things, but try and visualize what these stories would have been like. So next bit. And next to him, among the, the three mighty men, was Eleazar. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Eleazar, son of Dodo, uh, Ahahite, 
or height. <laughs> he was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines were gathered for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines. And the Lord saved them by great victory. See if you can recognize this next story. Three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam, when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me some water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink of the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was a chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds, he struck down two heroes of Moab, He went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall, probably around seven and a half foot, something like that. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam, a big, big spear. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoda and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. So, those are some of my favorite stories to read in Scripture. I like going through those. And if you, I don't know if you've ever watched the film 300. Uh, I think this gets top trumps on that film. I would love to see this made into a feature film because it would be epic. Um, but today, what I want us to do is consider what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I want us to use these stories to help us to consider that, to think of some of the mindsets and heart attitudes of a disciple. And these stories are, as we've read, all about men. And so I will be talking a lot about men today because that's what the stories are about. Now, absolutely, there are women in here and in the world, mighty women of God who have done incredible exploits for God, um, but I'm reading about this story, I'm, I'm looking at this story, and this is about men. And so at times I will be directly talking to men, but there's lots of stuff here that applies to us all. And, and actually, I would argue, well, I would say that in this church, it's probably the blokes that need a little bit of a kick up the backside anyway, um, in terms of exploits. Now, if that offends you, good, because... In me preparing this message, I have been regularly offending myself. I've not, I've not found this preparation very easy because I'm really getting the microscope and it's looking at me and I've been stirred again to put my hand to the plough to enjoy the wonderful privilege of what it means to be a disciple of Christ and do wonderful things for him. So that's my prayer for all of us today as well is that 
you know, if things begin to offend you or challenge you, embrace it. It's not easy all the time, but my heart is that we just get caught up again in what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so I'm going to have kind of three subheadings, if you like, and because it's a preach, so obviously. Um, so the first subheading is going to be same God, different covenant. And these, these subheadings are going to try and help us look at what it, what it, what it considered, what it means to be a Christ, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and how these stories can help us get there. So same God, different covenant. Now these men had very strong convictions. And we see that in the things that they did in these stories. They had a leader called David. Now David also had very strong convictions. He was a man of God. He believed God. And when we all know the stories, we know the famous stories when he was a young lad and he went against Goliath. And we read how he took him on with just a, a sling, you know, pretty epic. And I just want to remind you of, of something David's, sort of his opinion, which is kind of like the heart of, of what he felt towards this Philistine, is in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty six. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for this man, for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David had a, quite a strong opinion of this bloke who was a Philistine and the fact that nothing can stand in the way of the armies of the living God because God is God. Nothing can stand in the way. So his opinion, his convictions were strong. And the men that we're talking about in these stories were David's men. And you, so you could call them his disciples. They went where he went. They did what he did. They believed what he believed. They followed where he led. And in terms of how this helps us today, is that we don't serve a different God to those men in these stories. We, but we are in a different covenant. We're in a different time. And so the way in which we serve God is now slightly different to these blokes. We're not going to be going around physically fighting people for the kingdom of God. Because at the time, it was God's people in God's place. It was limited to the people of Israel. And the mission was for the kingdoms and surrounding kingdoms. And it was with a select people and God's presence was limited to select places. But now, in the new covenant, because of Jesus, all of that has changed. So now, because we're in Christ, and what we've been hearing this morning, just rejoicing in the fact that what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he has won for us an eternal place with the Father, and he sets us on a mission that is not, no longer limited to one place, one type of people, but it's a mission that is for the whole world and for all people. And so the, the mission has changed in the sense that we are now going to the whole world. And how we go is different to how these men went about their mission. And in Ephesians 6.12 helps us to look at some of the differences. If we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So as I was saying... The fight that we fight, the things that we're going for, are no longer against people themselves. They're not a physical battle. We're not to go and take people on, as it were. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, 
of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our battle, our fight, our wrestle is against the things of the Spirit. And how we fight now is with love. And I'm just going to ask us some questions because the difference is that we're no longer fighting against flesh and blood. But do we lose the conviction that these men had in these stories? The bravery that they showed? Because now we don't have to fight people anymore, so we don't need to be like these men. We can be something completely different. And I want to just ask a few questions that you can mull over. Which is, do you have a mindset of war or of comfort? Are you active or stationary? Are you convinced and convicted or apathetic and tolerant? And my aim is not to try and make you feel bad today. That's not not my heart at all. My heart is to try and spur us on and try and get hold of, of the depth of which God has called us to go for his kingdom. Someone prayed that, that out. You know, we want to give ourselves completely to this because of what he's done for us. And there's a couple of things that, that, that we see in the New Testament that really can spur us on in terms of helping us grasp a mindset and a heart of, of conviction uh, to be a disciple of Christ. And one of them is in Luke 14, 25, 26. Now, great crowds accompanied him. It's talking about Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. They can sound like really harsh words, can't they? But actually, it's, it's not about what you do to get in. You've actually been brought in by the work of Christ and now, as a disciple of Christ, we put him first, above all other things. So when it's talking about hating mother, father, brother, sister, and all that sort of thing, is that actually there are times in our lives where we say, no, it's Jesus first. And the world might say, hey, but what about this? You should have your priority on this. And we say, no, it's Jesus first. And when it talks about how we're to pick up our cross and follow him, really that's what, it, what it's saying, is are you, are you ready to die for this? Are you marked out as one who is following Christ? Because he actually did physically carry a cross. And anyone seeing that, anyone watching that, knew exactly where he was going. He was going to be killed. And so when he's talking about, are we carrying a cross? It's not about little things like, oh, I'm bearing my my crosses today. No, it's, it's a heart attitude. It's a conviction that, no, I'm for Christ, no matter what, no matter what cost. And in Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, it tells us how we can do that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, whom for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Our mission is to show and tell Jesus to the world. (laughs) That's our mission. And in those verses there, we're encouraged. Let's look to Jesus. He's the one who gives us strength. He's our leader. And so these men had David who they looked to. 
He was not a perfect man. But we have Jesus who we look to who is absolutely perfect. And he has given us an incredible example of how to live. He's told us what we need to do. He's shown us by how he lived his life. And he has sent the Spirit to give us power so that we can do it. So, before I move on to our next point, I just want to try and help us get hold of this conviction is to serve Jesus is such a joy. (laughs) It's so meaningful. It's so exciting. It's death-defying at times. It's challenging. It's supernatural. But it's the best thing we can ever do because he is the only one worth serving. These men were brave in these stories. We've heard what they did. They had great conviction. They believed God. Nothing was going to stand in the way of that. Are we like that? Do we have those same convictions that we will stand against adversity? We will have a conviction that is no, nothing can stand in the way of the armies of the living God. Have we got that in our hearts? Second point, what they did and what we do. So we're going to get a bit practical now. And I'm going to look at the stories themselves and look at what they did and see that how it applies to us. And firstly, we're looking, I want to group three of them together, which is uh, Jeshobim, Eleazar, and Abishai, and they were all leaders. And I want to apply some of what they did into our lives and into ministry. And so, men, lead your marriages. Servant-hearted, Christ-like headship. Our culture says, run away, be passive. Eleazar was surrounded by some men who were like that. So he was stood in the field and ready with his friends. And some trouble came and all his friends legged it. And he stood. And so my encouragement, men, in your marriages is be like him. Have a heart that is in in difficulty, in trouble in your marriages, that you're not just going to be passive and take the easy road out, but that you you will stand and be strong and and lead. Don't, I hope you hear this right. I'm I'm, I'm really not trying to offend anyone. I'm trying to encourage, but, but don't pander to your wife's insecurities. Instead, love your wife, lead your wife, teach your wife, and she will be blessed. Don't be passive. And as I said as well, these men were leaders and they oversaw some ranks of men. Um, They showed what it was to have faith faith in the face of adversity. And they did this by by having the big picture in mind. Um, And so I just encourage the elders, actually. Elders, you, you are responsible for the ranks. So keep your nerve, keep the big picture in mind. And lead us in faith. Even if we run or turn around and run away, let, you know, we'll see what you do. In the stories, we see what happened. Eliezer won a victory, and the, the guys who'd run off kind of go, oh, right, okay, yeah, so this is a good way to go. We'll come with you. And they end up just picking up the spoils. So sometimes as leaders, as elders, it might be a bit, I feel like I'm out here on my own. But I just want to encourage you to be strong like these men were in these stories. So the second story is the one that was so wonderfully dramatized for us. Um, And we see that these three men go and get some water. 
for their leader. Now, I'd just like to point out that these men risked their lives just to bring their leader a drink. It's quite extreme. Yeah, Ed's nodding his head. He, 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 was, he was fearful at times that he was going to die doing that. <laughs> they took initiative. They heard a desire of a leader, and they started out, and they got it done. And so my encouragement from this for us is we have some leaders, Dan and Rich, and they have a vision for this church. They have desires in their heart that they want to see happen in this church. Things that they have spoken about, maybe from the front. Maybe things that they've mentioned in one-to-one conversations. My challenge is, are we like these three men? Are we hearing and listening to our leaders and taking initiative and saying, actually, yeah, I'm going to get that done. I'm going to... I'm going to go that extra mile and, and not just sort of having lots of ideas. It's great to have ideas, but often we don't see those ideas brought all the way through. And we can keep suggesting things to our leaders. Hey, wouldn't it be great if the church did this? Oh, I wish the church would do that. My challenge to you is actually, no, get stuck in. Be like these blokes who, who heard just a passing comment from their leader. You know, oh, it'd be great to have a drink. And they're like, actually, yeah, I'll risk my life for that. Because we're committed to seeing God's kingdom advance in this city. That's our leader's heart, is that we want to see this church grow and reach the city. So let's get behind that. And you might say to me, yeah, but I don't know what the elders' desires are. They never talk to me. Well, you've got ears and a mouth, and so have they. You can go and talk to them. Ask them, hey, what's your vision? Where can I help? How can I get stuck in? Be like these mighty men and get stuck in. And finally, we look at Benaiah, what he did and what we do. So (laughs) he was a valiant man, a man of renown, um, a bit of a nutter, really. Snowy pit. Hey, Benaiah, what what are you up to today? Oh, it's been snowing out. Uh, Are you stopping in the tent, drinking some wine? No, I've heard that there's a lion in a pit. I'm just going to go and take the lion. It's, It's just a bit crazy. And so when I was preparing this, I was like, what what am I going to, what he did and what we do? Uh, You know, actually what I feel we can learn from Benaiah is that he did things that maybe seemed strange, you know, going on and taking on these individual tasks. He was obviously very brave. He was obviously committed to the cause. He believed that God would be with him. But are we like that as well? Are we prepared to hear God and act on it. Are we prepared to do things that might seem strange to others in the world, but that actually are about bringing God glory? And it will be different for all of us, lots of different things. But like Benaiah, are we ready to take opportunities that come to us? And I, just, I was reminded actually of, of a bloke called Rambabu, who's a, an Indian uh, evangelist slash whatever. And he, I think it was, he was in the UK at one time and his, he was being driven somewhere. And all of a sudden, the people were just chatting to him in the back. And all of a sudden, he just jumped out of the moving car and just rolled along the road and sort of then got up because he'd felt God say to him, oh, I want you to go and speak to those people on the pavement. <laughs> and so him being an obedient man of God just went out of the car, you know, just like, oh, yes, Lord. And off he went. 
you know, it's a little bit crazy. I'm not, I'm not suggesting any of you do that. You know, you need to hear God for yourself. Now, I, my, my guess is the people who then he went to talk to probably listened to him or were probably so scared of him that they just didn't know what to say <laughs> because this man just jumped out of a car and now he's telling us about Jesus. You know, what is this about? But are we prepared to do that? Are we prepared? Are we, are we shameful of what God asks us to do? Are we fearful of what God asks us to do? Or are we going to be like these men that we read about and go for it? Because God is with us. There is nothing that is impossible for God. Have we got that conviction? So my final point is, in all of this, there are no lone rangers. And this is a really important point, because we're reading stories here about men who do things on their own, and... You know, you might think, okay, so I'll just do whatever I feel and, and it's all good. But actually, these men were part of an army. They were soldiers. They were part of David's army. And everything that they did was for that cause, for that mission. Yep, doing different things at different times, but still part of the army. And the Bible gives some examples of when we become Christians, that we get brought into something. And some of these examples are, one Corinthians, you can find in 1 Corinthians 12, I won't, don't have to look at them, but that speaks onwards, and that speaks about being a body with many members that we get brought into and added into. John 10, 11 talks about the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, so we're his sheep of his pasture. Ephesians 2, 6, uh, 19 talks about how we are part of God's household, that we are brought into his family. 2 Timothy, 3, uh, 2, Timothy 2, 3 and 4 talks about enduring as a soldier, not after civilian pursuits in the kingdom of God. And there are other examples as well in Scripture that talk about what we get brought into. And the Bible has a name for this, which is the church, <laughs> the people of God. And so my encouragement is not to be a lone ranger when you're doing these things for God. We can often think, oh, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do it on my own. But, but God has brought us into a family and we have each other's backs, we support each other, we spur each other on into the purposes of God because he has added us in, he has knitted us in to the body. And what that means as well is it, then it isn't just about the things that you do individually and about me and my stories, it becomes about the grand purposes of God throughout all redemptive history. That's what you've been brought into. That is an amazing privilege. This isn't just something for now. This is something that God has been preparing for all time to bring glory to himself ultimately. And we get added into that mission, which actually brings a great deal of comfort because we are on the winning side because Jesus has won the victory. And now we serve him in the knowledge of that and that we can take comfort from knowing that we have brothers and sisters who are around us to support us and spur us on, to correct us, to teach us, to help us, and to move us on. There's no space for lone rangers, and actually that would be, that would be a horrible place to be, doing things on your own, trying to work it out. God's called us to a family. We're here for each other. And he also has given us the Holy Spirit. And so there may be times where actually you do find yourself on your own and you might feel a little bit vulnerable and there aren't people around you to who you can look to for support 
But God has sent the Spirit to live in us. God the Holy Spirit living in us so that we are never on our own. We are never a lone ranger trying to do things, trying to work things out ourselves. He's there to teach us, to help us, to comfort us, to lead us, to give us power. And that is a constant all the time. So in summary, in our culture here in Britain, it's ever increasingly becoming individualistic. And that can seep into the church and you can become in danger, really, of becoming a consumerist Christian. What I mean by that is it becomes about me and my salvation, me and my relationship with God, me and the things that I want to do because of the way that God's made me. But instead, let's strive to be disciples of Christ. Then it's all about him and the salvation that he brings him and the relationship with God that he has restored to us, him and the mission that he has called us onto as part of the wider body. And then as part of the wider body, we will be given individual exploits to do for him. As I said earlier on, my heart has been really challenged in preparing this. And I hope you've heard my heart in this. I hope you can hear what I'm trying to say is, is, is not that you have to do things to be here, to be in the body of Christ, but that actually because you have been given a place in the ranks, you now can do these things for Christ. And it is a privilege and an honor to do these things for Christ. And we can give ourselves to this mission wholeheartedly because it is the mission It is the only thing worth pursuing for God. And we can have faith that nothing can stand in the way of his purposes. We don't have to, we can, we can not lose heart. We can look at this city and think, Lord, what is going on? But God is with us and his church will advance. His church will grow. People will be saved. We can take hold of that because that's what he's called us into. We are heralds of this message of Jesus. We are to go out and proclaim to others this wonderful good news that Jesus saves, that he comes and transforms, that he comes and sets free. And we can go out and do that. And we can do it in many different ways. There are people here with lots of different jobs, lots of different personalities, lots of different gifts. That's why he's made us a body. Lots of different shapes, lots of different ways to serve Christ. But you are part of the greater picture part of this amazing, amazing plan that we see right the way through history, culminating in Jesus coming and dying and making a way for us so that we can take part and be involved in it. And I'm going to end by quoting uh, Spurgeon, and, uh, and then we'll pray. May God give us back the old grit that used to be in the old-fashioned Christians, to whom custom was nothing, but God's word was everything, to whom it mattered Not whether it brought loss or gain, but they did the right and followed the right, cost what it might. Lord God, I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that we stand here today in this room, a long distance away from where those mighty men were at that time. But we serve the same God. Lord God, you have been true to your word 
Lord God, the promises that you made through the prophets of the one who was coming, the Messiah, the Savior, has been fulfilled. Jesus, you have come. And now we stand in the good of your work. Lord Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you with all my heart. Lord, believing and having faith like these men did, that nothing, nothing can stand in the way of your purposes. Lord, I pray for each one of us here today that if we don't know you, Jesus, that today we would know you. We would know the love that you have poured out on us, the salvation that is freely available for us as a gift from you. And Lord, that we would be added in to the body of Christ that we would be added into the people of God and that, Lord, you would give us conviction in our heart, passion and desire in our heart, love in our hearts that drives us, Lord God, to do your will, to tell people about your Son. Lord, would you come upon us and stir us afresh again, Lord, that we would be for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.